Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Hello, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, where Wen and I pick one of our favorite topics, and then together we trace its entire history to find out exactly what ruined it. I'm joined, as always, by Wen Powers. Wen, what are we talking about this week? First off, I just want to say we haven't done a solo one. We talked about it at the beginning of the episode, as you guys are about to listen, but we haven't done a solo one of these with me and Andrew in a while, and that was so much fun. We literally just recorded it and it was such a blast. I, I miss, I miss just like one-on-one time with my buddy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Guys, you'll, you'll hear how my voice slowly degrades from the beginning of the episode to the gravelly. It sounds like right now, cause there was a lot of laughing. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to do this and cover some of the just, uh, stuff that we love talking about so much. So yeah, what did we cover this week? This week we talked about the French revolution and this was like, no, this is so dense and it just became a lot of just like you saying like really smart things and me throwing out the dumbest metaphors (laughs) I could possibly think of to help my own understanding. You guys are going to listen to it. You're going to listen to a lot of metaphors by me, a mediocre Matthew McConaughey impression. I was impressed. Oh, well, okay. Andrew was impressed. It's a good Matthew McConaughey impression (laughs) and you gotta stick till the end to listen to it. That's right. But yeah, so this is us talking about the French Revolution, the Enlightenment and the American Revolution all the way to when all those heads got cut off. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed Enjoy it. Let's get into it.
All right. So, Andrew, this is our first episode in a while that it's you and me. I thought this was a really good idea that you had. Uh, <laughs> I was just on board. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time prepping for this. Our first three episodes, we said, let's just do it for just us, get a feel for it. And since then, we have completely changed formats. Like in the beginning, you guys might remember, we did movies, and now we're like heavy history and background. I thought it was a great idea. Let's let's get into some, some stuff and cover some of our own favorite stuff. When we started, we did two movies in a row. We did Jurassic Park 3, which still bad still yeah and then we did we did batman and robin that movie's good now that <laughs> really surprising in six months batman and robin turned it around <laughs> yeah no no i think public opinion has changed because schumacher has passed in these past six months so now we're just like <laughs> oh it's a camp and it was iconic because it was campy on purpose like the 60s <laughs> batman show when you think about it that was my defense at the time and now it's it's my legit defense <laughs> rip joel rip joel schumacher. yeah i'm glad that came around thank Thank you very much, Joel Schumacher, and we are so sorry. We know you did far better than we ever could have. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Fan of the Opera, The Lost Boys, he had some good movies. Absolutely, 100%. I like Batman Forever, I'll say it. Yeah. And yeah, and then we decided to hit the Titanic, which turned out to be a lot of fun. The Titanic, that was our last one where it was you and me, and that was the first one of like our new format, really. Yeah, and, and after that, it was like, oh, okay, well, we can just spend a ton of time. I just nerd out over this so much. Like, I really enjoyed watching the movies. I love when we do it. I was going to break it down. But, you know, there's nothing more fun than digging into 12 hours of research <laughs> for something that only I care about. Yeah, man, there's nothing more fun than you studying for 12 hours <laughs> research i couldn't agree more this is the weirdest job but you know what i'm a fan so guys we're, we're doing it for you we've got a ton of stuff today so when what are we talking about today today we're going to start digging into the enlightenment the enlightenment can really be its own episode let's face it this is a farce we said the enlightenment because we chose a disaster we wanted to talk <laughs> about and we were like what can we pin this on the enlightenment and we literally said that like right before hitting the record button i maintain that there was a solid like 10 to 15 minutes where this was a positive event, but we realized we could not latch enough time into that. So yeah, we're going to just, because the lightning was a huge influence on this. So we're going to start there and, and then get to the majority of the show is where it went wrong because God, it led to so much stuff. It's so much stuff, but I guess we'll hop into it. So for those who don't know, the age of enlightenment or the age of reason or simply the Enlightenment, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated the world of ideas in Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries. It included a range of ideas on sovereignty of the reason and the evidence of the senses as a primary source of knowledge. So basically, can I see it happen? Can I reason it out in my brain? You do not get to use magic to weasel your way out of this, is basically <laughs> what the Enlightenment was. And, Am I right? Am I right? Is that basically it? It is. And it's it's a fantastic period of development. And we actually cover this a little bit in our therapy episode because this is when people realized the method of thought was what was relevant to understanding humanity. The concept of thought itself as well as how we're thinking about it. And it has led to some fantastic philosophers who really changed and shaped the way humanity developed and the way it thought. It was a very interesting period that a lot of great stuff came out of. I mean, and not just philosophically, but also just 
it had the scientific revolution. I mean, you could basically kind of break it down into three ideas. Uh, those ideas being uh, reason, which is the most important one. It was the idea and the methods of natural science and that we could use to examine our world and understand all the aspects of life as long as it was rational. If I can see it, if I can understand it, if I can grasp it. Rationalism, pretty much. The scientific method, which was capable of discovering laws of human society as well as those of nature and then progress. The goal of enlightenment in general was to better society and better people's lives and traditions and, and, and embracing the fact that we are all individuals with our own ability to reason our way through this world that we found ourselves in. And it was revolutionary. It was. It, it was massive. And, and the frankly, over a relatively short period of time, I mean, I, I know we're talking like 100 years here, that there's some debate as to the actual start and end. But over a relatively short period of time, people went from as you said, magic did it to no, there's a better way to think about things. And it was really amazing how people got on board. And, and obviously it, it, it took a while at the time, but the development was incredible. And it really was a whole new world that came out of it. And I don't even want to cut off as magic did it as that being the answer to like science, like, oh, why is the sun rising? Oh, magic did it. They use magic did it for just like, well, why does that guy get to be king? Like, <laughs> magic did it. That guy's king because of magic and his kid are going to be kings because of magic and all of his friends get to kick shit in your face because he was magically selected by God. Yeah. <laughs> and we cannot overstate how much that is the basis of the entire world at, at this point. That is, is pretty much it. It's the sway this held. And I, again, I, I know we've got a witchcraft episode too that you can go back and listen to and see the depth of this, but it was, it was religion and magic and this was what ruled everything. And the Enlightenment was groundbreaking. And I would like to do a whole episode where we hit just, I mean, that one will be one where we have entirely positive and we have to find a couple negatives. This is the opposite. Oh, of course. No, no, we're going to focus on the positive because you have things just like Joseph Black discovering carbon dioxide. You have Hobbes and, and Locke talking about new forms of government, talking about things like equality. Like we talk about equality now, like it's just like a thing to be expected. Like, oh, we want things to be fair and we want people to be treated well. But you got to understand at the time, the 17th and 18th centuries, equality was like the most wild fucking thing you could say. It was the exact reverse of now. Pitching equality then is like pitching magic now. It was like, no, that that can't be real, right? It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, just the whole thing, like, that's how you get people just being like, we should be treated well. Being treated well was not an expectation. <laughs> no, I mean, this was the, again, it was the concept of humanity and human value that was overturned by this whole process, which is, is why it, it was directly responsible for revolution in a lot of ways. Exactly. I mean, the American Revolution was a byproduct of the Enlightenment. Yeah, I mean, it was, it really just opened the concept. I think it, it was, obviously they did a lot of groundbreaking work, but it also just allowed it to be okay to think about the idea of what if I deserve equality and that personal responsibility, that personal understanding of I deserve more. And, and again, I say that I, I realize it sounds <laughs> in that the spoiled sense, but I deserve more in the sense that I deserve as much as everyone else. And that, as Wen said, sounds so basic, but was incredible that it took all of human history up until like 200 years ago or 300 years ago to spread this point across the Western world. It was just incredible. So yeah, and these ideas, they reached the American shores and like it, it just kind of exacerbated all the problems that they already had because the main problems were money. Yeah. They were being taxed uh, without representation in England and 
England's uh, response for the Americans was basically, hey, get on a boat and come over here and we'll figure <laughs> that out. It's just like, you know, that's not how this works. We don't get to talk. We don't get to talk instantaneously. That's bullshit and you know it. So it was money. It was representation. Just, you know, the fact that they had no representation in government. And it was the idea of a monarchy. Why is this person better than everyone else? And the answer for all of human history beforehand was God said so. And this is like a new thing for people to be like, well, guess what? I say he doesn't say that. I say we get to decide, which once again, fucking insane at the time people like you suggested that people started pulling their hair out and just screaming into the night it really was incredible and the american revolution is another one that deserves its own episode but it also had big influence on what was a positive event that is going to take bulk of this which was when what was it the french revolution the french revolution and this is so complex and it's it's a lot of bad and a little bit of good, <laughs> and then immediately into the bad again. Oh, so much bad. So much bad when it's bad. Yeah. So the American Revolution was financed almost entirely by France. I like to think of it as like a, like a sibling kind of thing where they're just like, you want to fuck with England? <laughs> you want to fuck with England real bad? If we went over there and we fought with the Americans, wouldn't that like Lafayette, who you guys know from <laughs> Hamilton, he's one of the famous Hamilton characters that we're all aware of. He was very much a involved with the American Revolution and all these ideas he came over here he saw these people form a new version of government like him and other French soldiers brought back this story of hey guys these people were oppressed by their government and they just said fuck it and made their own <laughs> again I love when we do the episodes where it's stuff that is such a basic concept now that we forget there had to be an origin point but this was it they return to France and France has got a long history here that's building up to this but the actual revolution began May 5th 1789 lasted until November 9th 1799 but we're going to get a little bit into the background here because between 1700 and 1789 the French population increased 50 percent from 18 to 27 million what was in the water <laughs> so it, it is a massive population boom and there are a lot of factors here that's an issue but it's largely just this confluence of failures from the ancien regime which is the political and social system of france from 15th century until the revolution to respond to increasing social and economic equality so so andrew just to confirm you do not have the rich, detailed history of why the French be fucking. <laughs> Honestly, that is a really good question that I don't have at all. I, I don't have numbers on why the population increased so much because it's not like it was this great period of prosperity or anything. Exactly. You're telling me that people buck themselves into poverty <laughs> is what you're telling me. And usually like a big population boom like that, I mean, it's centered around things like a war ending and people coming home, which I guess, I mean, maybe the American Revolution like was it enough to cause a population boom did they send that many soldiers that when they came back they were like let's do this i mean i think at this point france is in so many wars actually across the entire 18th century that i that would make sense if it had an impact here but also they lost so many soldiers that it's really pretty incredible that the numbers increased that's very fair because like it's not medicine i know that like they're not keeping more people alive for their population <laughs> to increase by 50 percent like they're still treating like they're still using dog magic at this time in a lot of instances oh god i love a dog magic callback yeah <laughs> no this actual state of france is in trouble right now with as the population
population continues to grow. And th- this was a number you're going to see a lot. Again, as, as always, my goal is to, to tell you stuff that you didn't know about these common subjects. But this one comes up a lot, and I think it's very relevant because the average French person ate two pounds of bread per day. What? Okay, I was actually very much on the French people's side in their revolution until you tell me that they're eating two pounds of bread. I mean, it's it's not like they've got a bunch of other options. Bread is the go-to here. But that's 27 million people eating two pounds of bread a day. And then in 1774, there was a poor grain harvest, which led to an increase of the price of bread, which led to the flour wars of 1775, which was just a series of riots. But the average French person spent 50% of their income on bread. I mean, this is what you need to survive, and this is where half of your money is going. Yeah, a breakdown for people that don't understand how to finance. Uh, If you're doing your own personal finances, a third of it should go to rent. Another section should go to internet, and like 50% of your income should always (laughs) go to bread. Always. That's a personal financial statement from me. A third on rent, then another piece for miscellaneous, and then half should definitely go to your bread intake. (laughs) It honestly feels like the tweet about someone helping with my budget. I'm spending $15,000 a year on candles. Yeah. Like, it is absolutely insane the amount of money here. And then in 1788, the price of bread increased so it would cost 88% of their income. That's so much bread, Andrew. It is absolutely incredible. And the idea that, I mean, this is one of a lot of factors, but I couldn't get past the concept of like, you guys, this might not have happened if you just gave them bread. Like you could have held this off for a while at least. Just lower the price of bread. Like to spend 88% of your income on bread is wild. And I say this as somebody who used to collect Pokemon cards. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there were factors here about how it was hard to control and where the money was going. Honestly, when I, was, I started digging into this, I thought there was a solid chance this entire episode could be like Star Wars Episode One, where they just keep talking about trade routes. Like, this could easily just be about taxation, but I'm going to try so hard to avoid that for you guys. Do your best, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm going to bring it back to the bread thing as much as we it's, can. It's going to it's gonna come back. So they are having trouble maintaining this. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't think that 88% of your income on bread thing was sustainable (laughs) well and the government is struggling too because it's like they don't have any handle on this and this is throughout a series of reforms that go back to louis the 14th we're going to get to in a a minute too but (laughs) along with this there's this regressive tax system where basically the more you made the less you paid and the France at this time is separated into three estates. The first estate being the clergy with about 130,000 people. The second being the nobility with 120 to 350,000, depending on the, exactly the time period. And both of these are basically exempted from taxes. Nobility has to pay a little bit to the church. They're getting away with most everything. So that means 98% of the population, which is the bourgeois and the peasants, the peasants making up 82 to 88% of that are paying all of the taxes of the country. If you're wondering how much that is, think about how much you spend on bread in a month. That is the amount. God. That was that was really good. I, I love looking at that. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the peasantry is sustaining the entire country here with taxes. So the third estate could potentially join the first or second. This is laid out very well, by the way, in reference to England in the book Flatland, uh, <laughs> which I know Wen is such a huge fan of. In case you're wondering what Flatland is, we had an episode where Andrew tried to explain it to me, and it was just the plot of the Starbelly Sneetches from yeah. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. But, yeah, so basically the third estate can join the higher ranks by either exceptional 
shell military bravery, or you can buy your way in. Because at this point, a middle class has started to develop. So you can buy your way in, but it's far too expensive for most people to afford. And uh, not only that, but once you're there, everyone's pissed. They got there by their daddy being rich. You got there by you being rich. That's not the same thing. Imagine going to Harvard. This is going to Harvard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or being wealthy in America today. We're just like, you got two options here. Become famous. End of list. Yeah. (laughs) So, no, I mean, this is incredible. And enough are making it through that they're kind of putting up with the system for a very long time, meaning hundreds of years. But eventually, as France becomes more and more broke, they're selling more and more of these titles. And also the bourgeois who are making enough money said, you know what? I can just add debt to my name. I'm going to look like I'm nobility and you guys can't check all this out. By like 1727, they stopped even investigating it. (laughs) I mean, yes. Once again, that's how the IRS works now. Right. I'm just going to keep pointing it out because like you're you're just breaking it down just straight up because the IRS is so broke they can't afford to take rich people to court, which is why only middle class and poor people get audited. Yes, this is, I mean, that is very true. And like the most insane thing, that is, is not a thing that should exist in concept like once it happens like oh, okay so we need to throw out the entire system and start over right and they're like no we're just gonna keep taking money from poor people the french were like let's ride this out i don't think anything bad's gonna happen and for a while they were right right <laughs> so yeah this is hanging on for a while but let's go back to louis the 14th and 15th to see how all of this started when you want to start us off there louis had maintained control of versailles and he had effective fiscal reforms. He wanted to change the taxation methods. He was even able to turn the national debt into a surplus, but it wasn't enough to support his policies. People did not look at that and just go, yeah, let's really roll with this guy. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. Three major wars happened under Louis. The French-Dutch War, the War of the League of Augsburg, and the War of Spanish Succession, as well as two minor conflicts being the War of Devolution and the War of Reunions, which those two definitely go hand in hand just from their names. I know those are really those are two of my favoritely named wars, which is probably not like the biggest goal in war. But honestly, I can still appreciate it. The French have the best named wars. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> war of the Roses. Come on. I know. It's a gorgeous name for a war. And I think Yu-Gi-Oh ended up stealing it for a bit for a video game. Which is how <laughs> I learned about the War of the Roses. Fun fact. But these wars mean that even though he actually had effective reform, they're just outpacing it. The wars are more expensive than any gains he's being able to bring in from this reform. Yeah, he's convinced that he's able to enhance his own personal glory by just winning as many wars as possible. Like, people will like me if we come out the winners in a ton of wars. Meanwhile, people are having their families sent off to fight in wars going (laughs) this far fucking sucks. Yes. There's a brief period where he manages to get enough control. He's actually respected and held uh, in, in okay esteem, but none of this is sustainable, which is is the mark of France for these like 150 years. And he's also now building Versailles. And Versailles, if you've ever seen it, is gorgeous, but also it's a little much. <laughs> It is the most elaborate and beautiful palace of the entire world. 
at the time, and they do not have anywhere near the money for it. And he's building this because he realizes that he's got issues with the nobility. I mean, he's able to sustain balance with nobility because they're not taxed, but he needs to tax them. So if he gets them to come stay at Versailles, which means instead of it being this modest lodge, it now has to be this massive palace, he can control their daily activities. The problem is living at Versailles is incredibly expensive. So to pay them to do that, they have to serve him daily because they're not going to give up their lifestyle. They have to appear to be rich no matter what. <laughs> it's this insane system of we have to go live at Versailles if we want the favor of the king. The king needs to keep them there in order to maintain control, and nobody can afford any of it, so the money's just kind of being passed around until the country goes broke. Have you ever seen a fraternity host a fundraiser? Because <laughs> this is exactly what happens when a fraternity runs a fundraiser party. God, when is killing with the analogies today? These are so helpful. <laughs> Look, I just want everyone to understand history in the way that I do, which is as an idiot. <laughs> So this is going on and the king still can't really get taxes from the nobles. Basically, every time they try to tax the nobles, they just get pissed off and kind of say like, okay, well, we're not going to do that. And they keep trying and then it gets pushed back over and over again. And Louis just like, remember that great party at my house? And yeah. like, it was fine, I guess. <laughs> So, yeah, this is the balance that they've struck, which is so absurdly tenuous. So he finally is able to pass some policy with tax nobility, but by the time it actually goes through, he's made all of these concessions and exemptions and loopholes that they can jump through to get out of it. So taxes have been increased, but now it only applies to the poor again. Incredible. Just simply, simply incredible that this whole, like, let's party until we figure it all out thing didn't lead to some great reforms. No, by the end of his reign, he has bankrupted France. 15 comes in. He doesn't have any of the control. The prosperous period during Louis XV was when he took over at age five and the country was run by Fleury. Fleury did great. It was this period of recovery. They built advanced road networks, improved trade. It was really this period of development. He saw peace. He saw peace and he tried to reconcile England and France and Spain, like which, wow, that was a, a fucking attempt right there it to make was. England and Spain and France all want to hang out with each other again. Right, because I mean, all 14 really cared about was his own power, which meant fighting with everybody. So Fleury came in and did a great job. What happened after that? Well, he died, Andrew. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he died and then Louis XV came in and he was just like, Okay, I figured this out. He developed a new tax system that would tax the privileged classes, and that immediately pissed off the nobility and the clergy, and he had to immediately just go, okay, never mind, the clergy is exempt. Now nobility is getting taxed a little bit, but again, the increase goes back to the third estate. And 15 immediately jumps back into the wars too. He's not a strong king. So after the War of Austrian Succession, Louis actually doesn't want war like his father did. Louis wants to be seen as this arbiter. So he returns the land that he got out of the War of Austrian Succession. He gives it back to the Austrian Netherlands. This is modern-day Belgium, the land. Made him very popular in Austria. Right. They left him abroad. But at home, they're like, hey, man, we're broke and you had new land. We could have used land, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're starving, by the way. We're spending all of our income on bread. <laughs> Right. It's not like we're supporting the conquering here. None of this was good, but this is what was happening at the time. And they're also putting up with his infidelities, which, by the way, he could have gotten away with, except when he goes to the front to lead the war, he brings his mistress. What a fucking attempt to flex on your soldiers. Is he just going to, like, 
You're going there. These guys are hungry. They're only eating boots and bread. And like <laughs> you're just coming in there with your hot side piece and being like, hey, good job, guys. Really love what you're doing out there. I'm going to go up to the front for this portrait, and then I'm going back home. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and he's he's kind of getting away with this. The French is like, all right, well, you know, we don't like that he's cheating on the queen, but it's France. And then he gives back the land. So now they're like, oh, well, what the fuck did we put up with this for? He's cheating on the queen. They were very concerned with the cheating on the queen. Honestly, it, it really pissed him off. And it was one of those things that they were going to deal with as long as they got something out of it. So eventually, Louis the Sixteenth takes the throne in 1774. The country is broke. The public is furious. And the big issue here is that nobody respects the station of the king anymore. Not too long ago, you wouldn't dare speak badly of the crown. Now it's just a massive, fuck this guy. He's not doing anything for us. He's that chick he brought to the war? Not cool. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> So there's absolutely no respect here. And the, and the big issue is that, that this is an absolute monarchy, which means that anything that's wrong with the government is the king's fault. So if you're not respecting him out of fear or a sense of tradition, everything that's bad falls on the king. And there is nothing holding you back now to go after him. So to try and build some unity here with Austria, he marries Marie Antoinette, who's the uh, daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. Thing is, she seemed to be using her influence to benefit Austria, which she is. And she's also living an extremely lavish life, which is, is what the king did too, but even more so. And the country is completely broke and everything that's now affected by money, anything that she does that is extraneous, it's just all cycles back to that anger over the debt of the country. She was nicknamed Madame Deficit and she's just become the face of it. I mean, this is also a tale as old as time kind of thing. Cause like, it's like somebody comes in there and they're just like, well, we're not happy. And they're like, but here's a woman wearing a nice outfit. And they're like, this is her fault. Oh, yeah. It's her wearing that fucking outfit, which is why I have to spend 90% of my income on bread. Right. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense that you would just be like, yeah, the fact that this bread is costing so much money has to deal with her outfit. No, it's like, well, no, it's like you're poor and you hate women. And like, this is how this is going to merge those two things. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most, when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Thanks. Right. And like, I mean, honestly, hating the king for it, 
very reasonable, but he's the one making the decisions at this point. At a certain point, she has a bit more sway, but they start hating her right away. Oh yeah, no, they didn't wait till she had more sway. They went right on the fuck Marie Antoinette wagon and they just drove it until it got to its inevitable conclusion. And I feel like we should cover this early. The let them eat cake never happened. Why would they even ask her that? Why would anybody go to Marie Antoinette and say, hey, can you feed the people? She's not involved in this. She doesn't. Okay, that's a whole separate thing, but didn't happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just really want to focus on the let them eat cake thing because for one like I never really understood it because I was just like wait so you're saying that someone went up to her and said like the exact phrasing of just like hey the people are hungry and they can't afford bread and any person's response would be like well then let them eat cake like that made no it's never made any sense that was like the Facebook like fucking stop the steal campaign like way back then like just like hey I made something up that's really gonna piss me off you guys want to hear it so there's also this big tie-in from Parliament, which 14 got rid of. So the Parliament basically existed as appellate courts for the uh, cities in France. And when a law was passed by the king, parliaments could decide whether or not to enact it in their territory. And Louis XVI really wants to be liked. So he brings back the parliaments. And despite the fact that the positions are bought, they're bought by the bourgeois, they're bought by people that are using it to maintain their power, the public are seeing the parliaments as their representatives, as their voice, as the ones keeping check on the crown. So they're supporting it while the parliament are also saying, no, I'm not going to add to your taxes where I would have to pay money. We're going to keep this on the poor. And the poor are like, yeah, parliaments, keep it on us. Sticking it to the man. I really appreciate (laughs) you in there looking out for me, the little guy. This is Congress, by the way. Right. I'm sorry. It It all comes back to the fact that this is like, I'm sitting here wanting to make fun of it and i just keep being like no this is the exact same (laughs) it is i mean there are things we talked about where it's like oh there's a lot of parallels here but you start digging into this and you're like this is the exact same system we have now i mean the the only difference was then is like they said we can't tax the rich now we're just not doing it (laughs) but it's the, the same development it's the same system the thing is is louis put those in so he could be like hey you guys have a voice and then they went and said okay so every good thing you're trying to do though make me pay more money we're not going to do that which made louis unable to solve the massive debt problem (laughs) uh, which also made them go further into fucking debt because they were all just like well we're not going to pay those taxes he's like well someone's got to pay he's just like the poor (laughs) the poor can do it and they're like they still have 12 percent of their income left over after the bread (laughs) some of that for taxes god i mean when you go through the numbers it was like oh okay so how did anybody live at all but here's the thing you then have the enlightenment coming through and telling people hey you don't have to live this way you are a human being deserving of rights and happiness and a life in which you could be proud and they're not better than you based on some kind of fatalism you know your fate is not predetermined your whole state of being was not decided by god before you existed you are a captain of your own ship you are able to lead a life and you should have that life in dignity and this idea is sweeping the nation right at the 
same time as the elites are saying, no, 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 fuck you. Use your bread money and chip in for us having our big parties. No, you're you're absolutely right. And and the other big issue here was it's the exact opposite of the royal belief. 14 and 15 believed firmly that they were ordained by God. The only thing higher than them in the universe was God himself. So when that's what you're up against, people are like, hey, can we be equal? And they're like, hey, God told me no. <laughs> you can't argue with that. All you can do is revolt. It's literally the only option. So knowing that the Enlightenment's all over the country, there's an American revolution, that all these ideas are coming forth. What happens next, Andrew? So we get to the Estates General. So the country's broke. Louis has lost respect and sway. In 1787, he attempts to call an assembly of notables, which is basically just, let's get the nobles in. We're going to work this out. We're going to figure out how we can get some money. But the nobles have just been losing power. They don't want to help here. They, they said, you know what? No, this really needs to be a meeting of all three estates. This forces Louis on May 5th, 1789, to convene a meeting of the Estates General, which involved representatives from all three estates. This was the first time they'd been called since 1614, over 150 years ago, because he's like, guys, we are broke. What are we going to do about it? And the first issue here is that, again, the third estate houses 98% of the public. A while ago, they were given double delegates because of the mass they represented. But Louis comes in and says, but you know what? Each of the estates is only going to get one vote. The first and second have wildly different needs than 98% of the population. And instead of doing anything about this argument, Louis says, let's just see how this plays out. So eventually he says, no, you know what? That's, that's right. I'm going to give you guys your double votes, essentially. But they're done. They realize Louis is pointless and useless, and he's now instead of doing something right, gifting them with a right they were already given. So they say, fuck you. We're going to go do this on our own. The third estate, anyone from the first and second that want to come, you're welcome to come join us. So they were pretty much locked out of the assembly. Yes. With the idea being, if we don't let you assemble here, you can't vote on things in the assembly thinking that he was in checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much the logic of I'm taking my ball and going home when there's like this pile of balls right next to you. This doesn't end the game by any means. They moved to a tennis court. I love this. They took the tennis court oath by which they agreed not to separate until they had settled the Constitution of France. They all just got together on an indoor tennis court. It was like, we're not leaving till we have a plan to fucking redo this entire country. It was amazing. And by the way, Louis then tries the same move thinking, oh, this time it'll work. So he closes the tennis court. <laughs> thinking this is going to solve it. So they just met in the church of St. Louis. At this point, most of the clergy has joined them because they kind of realize this is what's going to happen. Again, the power they... Here's the thing. The third estate can rule France on its own. They don't need the nobles and the clergy. This is the system. This would be hard to overthrow, but they can install the figures that they need easily. So the clergy goes along with it. The nobles, some of them go along with it, some resist. And then Louis says, no, you guys go too. So he can pretend he did this himself and he told them to create this new form. I just love the idea of just like 600 people that represented 98% of the population start like talking amongst themselves and then they both were immediately like, we should be over there. Right. I mean, it was like, no, you got to switch now, guy. This is not going to last for you. So they, they formed the National Assembly, which is these three branches together now 
without the king. And soldiers, mostly being of the third estate themselves, are often sympathetic to this cause. So the king brings in foreign mercenaries, particularly Swiss and German regiments. By mid-July, half the troops in Paris and Versailles were drawn from foreign regiments. He is fomenting insurrection. There might have been a way out of it at this point. Be like, hey, we need complete reform. You guys are working on it. Maybe just let me keep my job. I'll do what you want. There's a way here. But instead, he's like, you know what? We just need to bring in the soldiers immediately. Yes, he really, really, really overplayed his hand here. Because you have the proletariat representing 98% of your country. And then you have the two groups representing the other 1.99999% of the country also go over there. And your idea as one guy and his pals and his his (laughs) wife and kids to just go, I think we can buy our way out of this. It was insane. So they've now, again, the National Assembly, as we said, they start in July 9th, they rename themselves the National Constituent Assembly. They're now representing all of France rather than just their estates. And they actually begin to function as a governing body and they, they start drafting a constitution. And then July 14th, is a big day. What happens on July 14th? It was Bastille Day. July 14th is known as Bastille Day. They tore it down by hand. It was a symbolic way. There were only seven prisoners in there, but they were like, let's tear it down, take out these seven guys and all of the weapons while we're there. We're going to get out these seven guys and all of the weapons while we're there. (laughs) Well, yeah, they tore it down by hand because they didn't have explosives. But at this point, Paris is in turmoil. So they're moving weapons to the Bastille for safekeeping. So they tear down the Bastille by hand to get 250 barrels of gunpowder. And yeah, this is a massive symbolic victory because Bastille was the symbol of tyranny. So they got this, they've got weapons now, they tear it down, and this led to this quote from Rochefoucauld the next morning when the king found out and asked him, is it a revolt? And Rochefoucauld replies, no, Cyrus, not a revolt, it's a revolution. And this is really a profound moment where it's it's just the point of no return. You, you realize that, that there's no coming back from this. If I were to make a trailer, the last two lines would be, is it a revolt? No, sir. It's a revolution. And they would just say, French Revolution, this summer. This film is not yet rated. It was incredible. And the king is just so oblivious to what's... By by the way, by accounts, he was a smart person, but... He was uncreative and a weak leader. He had great interests in locksmithing. That was his hobby. And the public kind of felt like he really cares more about that than France. And I don't know if that's true. He probably liked France. He got a lot of stuff out of France, but he did not know what he was doing in terms of leading at all. So the assembly now has multiple factions here. The right, who are the foes of the revolution, the monarchists, who are hoping to arrange France kind of along similar lines as the British constitutional model. And the left, that's relatively united in support of revolution and democracy. And they're representing the interests of the middle class, but they're sympathetic to the common people. And the way this is handled just pushes the left more and more extreme and pushes the center more and more left. They really, truly were starting this out as just like, okay, we'll keep the king here, but he'll be a figurehead. It was going to be a constitutional monarchy, not unlike, you know, what they have in Britain. They've just wanted it to be a thing of everyone kind of 
being a representative government, but with the figurehead and the tradition of a monarchy. And a lot of people slowly pushed away from that. They said, no, that's not what we want. We don't want a figurehead. We don't want a monarchy at all. They were taking those Enlightenment ideals and they were taking them to their natural conclusion of no full equality, period. Exactly. It, w- it was really this understanding of this is not a system that's working. This is not a let's make some tweaks. We need to tear this down and start over. And October 5th was a, a really interesting event because this was uh, the Women's March on Versailles. Women in the marketplace were near riding over the high price and scarcity of bread. And again, you have to understand that this is the lifeblood of these people. You're not spending 82% of your income because you want to. This is what you need to survive. The fear of famine was very real and overwhelming the peasants of the Third Estate. Not only this, but now rumors of conspiracy were being fomented that grain was being purposely withheld from the poor to benefit the rich and even destroyed to starve them out of rebellion. So October 5th, the women marched. They, they marched to Versailles, which is this incredible event. And again, it's, it's presented as spontaneous with the woman who, who starts banging the drum and, and they, uh, they show up with kitchen knives, makeshift weapons. This was in fact well-planned. They marched to Versailles, picking up more along the villages as they go. I was just going to say, it, one of the main reasons it was a, a women's march, it was because the idea was that Marie Antoinette was the reason the grain was being hoarded. They were saying that she gave the order to hoard grain and to keep it from the people. So the response was, well, let's send women to go. Like They were pretty much trying to be like, oh yeah, your woman's doing that? Well, this is what our women got up their <laughs> sleeves. You're right. And as this was especially important because in these new documents they're drawing up, women are not included in this equal movement. They're not going to be given rights here in, in the same way, despite the fact they're pushing for it. But they're doing this anyway because they, they're hoping to get there eventually, which, you know, they don't in this revolution. But France has a lot of them. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to have a few French Revolution episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so they get to Versailles and they let one representative in. Eventually, they all come in and they realize this is they're not looking for violence. They're exhausted. They're starving. Six of these women meet with Louis. He actually has a sympathetic response and says, I'm going to give you more food. I'm going to give you more food later. But eventually some people manage to break in. They start looking for the queen's bedchambers. It turns violent quickly. It's also the violence has ended quickly. But at this point, Versailles is surrounded and the king is told you have to go address your people. And surprisingly, they don't want to kill him. They tell him to come back to Paris. He's in Versailles, which is just an absolute perfect representation of all that is wrong. It is extravagance and wealth. It is keeping him separate from his people. It is everything they don't have that they should have. So he comes back to Paris with them. And, you know, it's painted like he's held prisoner, which he is, but also he's held prisoner in the Tuileries. He's held prisoner in his, you know, mansion in Paris. Here's the thing. Yes, he's being held prisoner in a mansion, but you are a king in the middle of a revolution with your family and you're being forced to be in a place. I don't care how pretty the walls are. You can read the writing on them at that point, Andrew. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's in a prison, and you're like, we're trying to do like, oh, he's a prisoner, but he's in this giant castle. You know exactly what you're there for when you can't leave (laughs) and there's a revolution happening outside. No, that's a a good point. He's got to see by this point that that eventually they're going to be coming for him. I think it's just more that I know that they've also got prisoners in the Bastille who had a tougher time. But you're right. This ultimately is a signifier that eventually he's going to die and that if he goes outside, he's in trouble. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying I'm not saying like he was treated worse than what a regular person would be treated as. But you're right. He knows what it means. If you're a king that's taken from your like your preferred palace and thrown into a different place 
and you're told you can't leave, you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> There's no fun ending to this story at that point. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And it is not long before that because, again, they're coming to the king at this point and saying, look, man, we've got a constitution. Sign the constitution. We can keep this going. You can stay in power. Just sign the constitution. And he tries to escape. And he's also had his face printed on money. Everyone knows what he looks like now. He tries to escape. They catch him. They bring him back. They say, look, just sign the constitution. He does. He signs the constitution and he keeps working to undermine it. He's working with counter-revolutionists. So we get to August 1971 and the angriest of revolutionaries at this point storm the Tuileries. The king survives this, but they've maintained power at this point. They can see that the, the guards are coming and they send messages to the rest of the country saying, you know, we need to destroy anyone who is not loyal to the cause. And this leads to about a thousand people, some estimates say about 1,200, being killed across the country, believing them to be loyalist to the crown or potentially just a threat to the revolution. So the king now is sitting here. He signed the constitution. He's working against it. People are being killed for being suspected of working with the crown. And then in December, they again are in the Tuileries. They look in the chest and find over 700 letters of him discussing his plans of a counter-revolution. At this point, they had been pretending that the king had actually worked with the revolutionists toward this, and they can no longer pretend this. At this point, it's, okay, the king is working against you. This is treason. What are we going to do about it? God, I can't imagine everyone just being like, hey, you get to live in your mansion and you get to keep doing your fun little parties and all you have to do is let us be okay and like spend less money on bread occasionally and you just couldn't be happy with that. That's insane to me. It is incredible. And again, I read about how he's a smart guy, but how can anybody do something this stupid? It was like you had numerous points where you had a way out of this. And this is not one point of destruction either. It's not one thing that tipped the scales. It was just these constant bad moves that got to the point where it was like, no, this is now treason. And obviously we know how this story ends at the guillotine. He keeps trying to get other countries to help him. And they're just like, dude, you're sneaking out of your own castle like a like a moody teenager <laughs> and getting captured again. We're not going to send our people to die and then hear all the great stuff that's going to happen. Like, you don't want to send your kid to the bad influences house. Like, they don't want their soldiers to go over there. Because guess what happened the last time a bunch of soldiers <laughs> heard a bunch of revolutionary talk? They were French, and they went back to France, and they did their own revolution. So no one is wanting to jump in and send their soldiers to fight revolutionary fights. This was a, a huge debate at the time where each country is, because it's not like any of them like France. They, they've had, you know, a tentative peace. So like, okay, so our options here are help France or... Rip Fleury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, possibly take advantage of the fact that they're in this incredibly weak state. And so Austria, who the emperor is, is now the uh, brother of Marie Antoinette, and basically says, hey, any harm falls to the king and queen you got to answer to us. And it's his way of doing something without doing anything. But kind of everyone wants war. The revolutionists think that they can spread this to other countries and control power back home. The king thinks if he wins, he'll be able to uh, restore some of his glory. So this is all they needed 
to start triggering this war and get everyone involved. Oh, and, and again, this is obviously before the, the king is killed. This is when he's still asking for help, but this doesn't work. Uh, of course, he, he has this, his position is tenuous. He has nothing to stand on, but war does break out after he's beheaded. And the big issue here too, is that there are factions within this new government. So the Fouillants who had supported Louis and the Girondins who broke from the Jacobin movement, the Jacobin movement was again, more of the ones that wanted revolution, but in a more, you know, democratic mind monarchy kind of way. The Girondins were just like full revolution. This is the only way out. And this leads to a lot of infighting and destruction. Anyone who could potentially be working with the other side or a loyalist is killed. And this leads to the mass executions that we're all familiar with from the French Revolution. Yeah, the September massacres, right? Well, the September massacres were actually back when they stormed the Tuileries and then spread it to other countries. Because this was, this was marked by mass executions of enemies of the revolution. This was a conflict now between the rival political factions, the Girondins and the Jacobians were the two that really remained. The death toll is in the tens of thousands, 16,594 executed by guillotine, another 25,000 in summary executions across France. And this is all part of the reign of terror. And the reign of terror is established by the Committee of Public Safety. And, and this is who have taken over after the king is killed. They, they need a, a new station here. And as Robespierre leads us, here's the thing, Robespierre is as evil evil as people think he is, he was not the influence people think he was. This entire committee was at fault here. Can we go back? I actually want to say something about the guillotine itself. Please. Because the guillotine was invented by a man named Joseph Guillotine. And the idea of it was it was supposed to be the people's form of execution. It was thought to be taking the torture out of political deaths, but capital punishment was supposed to be done. It was going to end quickly. You will be immediately killed. And it was going to kill a poor person the same as it'll kill a king. Because once you kill a king with the guillotine, it's open season on anyone. You are on the same level. Everyone's going to die equally when you are put up in the guillotine. And I will say, France ended capital punishment in 1979. The guillotine was used then. This is not something like so far in the past that we can't wrap our heads around it. The guillotine was a form of execution recently in our family's lifetime. Like in your parents' lifetimes, guillotine murders have happened by the state. Yeah. So yeah, I just felt it was kind of important just to get into this idea of it was supposed to be the people's execution weapon. And I find that very fascinating. No, it absolutely was. And, and this is where it gained fame and it existed in other forms before. And by the way, uh, Guillotine wasn't a proponent of the death penalty. <laughs> this was the best he could do at the time. Yeah, it was, it was him just basically being like, hey, I hate that we're doing this, but if it's going to happen, here's the most painless way I can think of. Yes. And oh, also going back for a second, when had mentioned the September massacres, I, I had said that was after the storming of the Tuileries, but no, that was actually 1792. The September massacres were the killing of the prisoners in Paris. That, again, just the mass of destruction here is unfathomable. The fact that at this point, everyone is seen 
as your enemy if they're not on your side. And this is the clergy, this is prisoners, this, these are people that are potentially working with people that were your friends until you split factions. The destruction here is massive, and the guillotine has become a symbol of this death, despite the fact that it's the opposite of its intent. And you're right, it was a, a fascinating history that led to this, and obviously it's not something that could have been pictured before to have ended in the destruction it did. Yes, so sorry, Robespierre. Right, so when we get to, to Robespierre, he, again, just as evil as you think he is, but just not quite as in, I mean, he no, he's he's a dictator for, for a time, but ultimately it was the whole committee's power that was behind this, and they set up the reign of terror, which is exactly what it sounds like. This is the first time that they make terror the official mandate of the state. They're going to gain control through fear and death and murder, and anyone who is opposing them will be killed. And the, the numbers on this are so insane that, uh, again, the 16 or near 17,000, the 25,000 in summary executions. But when you get look at the numbers, because people picture this as it's destroying the monarchy, there aren't that many in the monarchy. 8% of those killed were aristocrats, 6% clergy, 14% middle class, but 72% were workers or peasants. But they're those that are accused of hoarding or evading the draft or desertion or rebellion. It's the same thing as the taxation. These are the ones that we can get. These are the ones we don't need to make a trial of. These are the ones that we can put on display and kill them to make examples of. And it was just a rule through fear. And again, absolutely evil. Robespierre's level of, of this was, was insane that, that anyone could implement this method and think this is an acceptable way to treat my people to gain unity. But the church was also obviously in disarray at this point. Uh, the clergy become workers of the state instead of a rank similar to nobility. At this point, it had pretty much fallen out of form to have an official god. And Robespierre says, no, we should bring that back. A day after he says it, they do. And it doesn't sit well with the French because suddenly he's trying to tie virtue to this reign of death. I mean, you got to also think about it this way. He came into power during an enlightened revolution of saying, we are going to do equality. We are going to do democracy. We're going to have people who are able to be as respected from the top down and to come in there and to then be like, no, we're going to have a national God again. People saw that and they said, we're going backwards. Right. <laughs> no, absolutely. So Rose Pierre is overthrown on uh, July 27th, 1794. He attempts to commit suicide, but failed and was guillotined July 28th with now a broken jaw from a bullet wound, which, you know, rough. Yeah, that guillotine, it comes for everyone yeah. after a while. <laughs> so there's more here in the development, but I, I want to skip skip ahead to because this is pretty much the end. The Directory took over. They're ruling France from November 2nd, 1795 to November 10th, 1799. And again, the revolution was declared ended on November 9th, 1799. And this is a developmental period of, of France. They're less violent, but they're still controlling the country by war and suppression. During this time, there is also a general starting in 1796 in his battles in Italy where he begins to make a name for himself. And that is Napoleon. And Napoleon is an entire episode, which is very much the same of there is some good and a whole lot of bad, and it is so clouded in how it all got there that I think it'll be a very fun episode to do another time. But I think that is pretty much the end of the revolution. Yeah, that is, I mean, we'll we'll get into Napoleon and we'll get into Charles, but- Oh God, we skipped over that. Can you tell him about Charles really quick? We're going to backtrack and hit Charles really quick. When tell us, please tell us about that. <laughs> well, here's the thing. After Napoleon has his failures, he's banished, he comes back, he's banished again. But France is basically like, you know what, guys? I realized I kind of liked having a king. <laughs> so they went to the only like living member of Louis's family, pretty much, who was Charles. And they said, 
can you be king again? And Charles' reaction was just like, I saw what you did. <laughs> like, he became king because, like, what a sweet gig. But, like, he wasn't enthusiastic <laughs> about it. Yeah, this is this is a bold move. This is, yeah, a really tentative take. But, no, I mean, the whole Napoleon story is fascinating. And, again, for my prep for this, I decided that um, it, it was this whole episode. There wasn't enough here. But to understand that the way Napoleon is still talked about it in a hero, as a hero, but France, who is known for naming statues and towns and cities and roads after the heroes, there is one Rue de Napoleon in all of France. He did what needed to be done is some consideration and other considerations is he did what he wanted to, but the destruction from Napoleon is again massive, even if it did lead to stability afterwards. So that'll be a fun episode for another time. But we do have a segment left on this one, which is in their defense. Here we have to defend the indefensible, the thing that we've spent an hour shitting on. We have to look on the bright side. I'm going to give it to you because you have done the majority of the research and I want you to come off as smart as you are because by the time you're done, I'm going to be left with the scraps as I fucking deserve. <laughs> so please, Andrew, after you. Here's the thing. The French didn't have a choice. It was spiraling to destruction. The issue here was not the French people. It was not the revolution. It was that those that took power were as corrupt as those before them. They were colored by this lifetime of destruction around them. And although, I mean, a lot of them were involved in it. They were involved in it from the beginning. The, the, again, the, so much of this murder was of the peasants, of those that just needed help. I'm going the wrong way here. That's not a defense at all. No, no, keep going. Keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> the problem was, was that those that took power were just as bad as those before them. There were good people involved in the revolution. There were those that really tried, that had an understanding from the enlightenment of what equality could be. And they really wanted to get there, but ultimately fear overtook everything. It was fear of losing that power, fear of heading the wrong direction. It doesn't mean it was the wrong thing to do to attempt this revolution. It was just that it ended so horrifically because those that took power were evil, or at least their vision of good required so much evil to get there that it wasn't sustainable and France couldn't handle it. And thankfully, they eventually found their way out. But honestly, where France would be without that stage, I have no idea. It was something that needed to happen at some point, and it is a tragedy that couldn't happen in a better form. But revolution was needed, and it was a hard thing to do that they got through and survived it and brought them to eventually, far in the future, a brighter one. Cool, cool, cool. All right. That was very good, Andrew. Thank you very much. Uh, and like we said before, I am left with the scraps. A little bit. <laughs> so I will say the Enlightenment led to revolutions in America and it led to revolutions in France. The American Revolution has kind of a very clean beginning, middle, and end. It started, it happened, we had help from the French, we started this country, and we made a declaration of independence, a bill of rights, a constitution that basically came out with the idea of all men are created equal except the ones you know we're leaving out on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> that was the idea. Whereas France really did, when they started this whole thing, tried to make an actual equal government. They were looking for a constitutional monarchy where it was going to be a figurehead pretty much as king, but the people themselves would have the power. It wouldn't be this, oh, the clergy has a third of the power, the aristocracy has a third of the power, and then everyone else gets lumped into this. It was going to be a plan for an actual 
representative democracy that was going to be better than ours considering it wasn't just going to be strictly land-owning people. And, you know, women obviously were left off too, but it was going to be a better system than the ones we had come up with. The ideas of it, in some ways, were better than that of the American Revolution. You go through and read their first kind of list of demands and what they wanted the country to be, it was more utopic and more fleshed out than what we had kind of written and scribbled on a napkin and just said, you know, that's what we believe <laughs> and we'll amend it as we go. The problem was, it was led by a large group of people and there's nothing dumber and more dangerous than a large <laughs> group of angry people. Yeah, The people that get put in charge are the ones who are the angriest and the ones who can be heard over the crowd by yelling the loudest with the most extreme rhetoric. You saw what happened in the revolution. It got pushed so hard in the direction of let's tear the entire thing down and start anew. Well, guess what? When you do that, you let a guy who like a Robespierre take over who is going to just start fucking killing people <laughs> because that's what he knows. He got into power by killing people and he wanted to keep power by killing people. It was started by a great idea, but you can't trust angry people in large groups as we see in this nation just last month, yeah. or, you know, two months ago, maybe when this airs, you can't trust a large group of people that are angry because they will follow the dumbest, loudest, angriest person in the group. And that's when ideas go out the window, because guess what? They immediately almost tried to make a new monarchy yeah, with more power than the one that they just overthrew. That's what they tried to do. It immediately, we'll get into it in another episode, but they tried to instill an emperor in Napoleon who was even worse than the Louis. It's just what happens when you let large groups of people listen to the loudest, dumbest one, and it's what happens every time. Cool heads do not prevail in these situations, and that's how you get a longer, bloodier revolution than the ones we had where we immediately tried to placate everyone immediately. <laughs> it comes to different outcomes, but this is what you get. You're absolutely right. No, I, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a fantastic point, and it is the parallels here. I assume all of you are pretty familiar with the French Revolution. Again, we tried to hit some stuff that is not discussed quite as often, but the more you go through this, it's just like, oh yeah, this is what's happening exactly right now. And it's obviously there's a tipping point where something has to be done and you hope it can be done through democratic and peaceful means. But sometimes when that, I mean, by the way, Robespierre was a moderate to begin with. <laughs> he was the one that was looking for a constitutional monarchy. But eventually, when change doesn't happen, people get pushed to the extremes. And uh, obviously, when the wrong people get in power, it, it can just go just as bad in a different direction. This whole episode, I've just been sitting here like Matthew McConaughey and True Detective, just like, time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that has happened before will happen again. We're going to have to put some tape up on that. That was a, that was a good Matthew McConaughey. We're going to have the visual for that. But I mean, I think that, that covers it. That is just about the French Revolution. What do you think, Wen? Uh, I thought this was... Andrew, this is great. I enjoyed doing a one-on-one, -on -one, me and you. We haven't done these in so long. No, I this this was a, a lot of fun. I, I like that we got to pick our own stuff. Uh. Yeah, we got to pick our own stuff. We went through it. I mean, our riffing is always on point. <laughs> I enjoy this. This is always the best part of my week. And, you know, I'm glad we we made the the plunge of just like, hey, let's just you and me do one of these just to, just to try it. Me too. Honestly, guys, I feel like I want to say this at the end of every episode. Maybe we should just make that a closer. This is the best part of my week every week. And I'm so happy that, that you guys 
come and listen and let us do this for you because it is so much fun. So yeah, I think on that, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and give us five stars. It helps us out so much. We also have a Patreon up now that helps us keep doing this. As much as we enjoy it, we actually need some money too. We're going to have that link in the show notes if you're able to subscribe. That would help us out so much. And yeah, please come back next week where we're going to be doing this again. I'll see you next week, Wen. Bye. Bye. Bye.